For the rest of you, turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Joy to be back in our study today. God's plan for a healthy church, a study through the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, confidence in the future, in particular here, uh, confidence in final judgment, picking up in verse 9. And I hope that you spent some time in the Word each day uh, this week. It is our encouragement to you to do that. I say it from time to time and remind you that this is the way the Lord has designed His Word to work in your life, that it can be uh, continually at work, molding you and shaping you, uh, bringing you uh, into submission to His will. And so make sure you set aside time each day to do that. A preacher died and went to heaven. He noticed that a New York cab driver had been given a higher place than he had. I don't, under- I don't understand, he complained. I devoted my entire life to my congregation. He was answered by, our policy is to reward result. Now, Reverend, whatever happened when you gave a sermon? The minister admitted some of the congregation fell asleep. Exactly, he was told. And when people rode in this man's taxi, they don't only stayed awake, but they prayed. Remind me of riding with Bill Tussey. He's not here, so I can say that about him. Um, On a more serious note, an English Puritan church leader by the name of Richard Baxter wrote this very timely piece nearly 400 years ago. He says, quote, It is most lamentable to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing, and that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed, knowing that God has set mankind in such a race, where heaven or hell is their certain end, that they should sit down and loiter or run after the childish toys of the world for getting the prize they should run for. It goes on to say, Were it but possible for one of us to see this busyness as the all-seeing God does and see what most men and women in the world are interested in and what they are doing every day, it would be the saddest sight imaginable. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament at their self-delusion. He says, if God had never told them what they were sent into the world to do or what was before them in another world, then there would have been some excuse but it is sealed in his word, and they profess to believe it, end quote. That's pretty good, isn't it? I think that captures, really, in a nutshell, the things we've looked at over the last several weeks, because over the last two weeks, we've returned to this particular uh, chapter, the fifth chapter of Second Corinthians, which has to do with confidence. We've looked at the remarkable confidence the believer has as they come to the end of their physical life, and now... As we take a look at verses 9 and 10, we see that they reveal to us the confidence that a believer can have in final judgment. And so we're going to continue that thought today. Our home base is, of course, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. But there are so many passages that uh, contain information for us that we've taken some time to uh, look at those passages and so we can enrich our understanding, which is how the Bible explains the Bible, which is my encouragement to you, of course, as you have questions Jot those down as you continue to read through the Bible. They'll be answered as you come through uh, those passages. But look at Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. We'll just read it together. Uh, Paul writes, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, 
whether good or bad. That's our section right there, so stop right there if you would. Paul's saying here there's coming a time when all the works of all believers will be subject to a test to determine whether they're worthy of reward. And we've spent some time kind of laying a foundation here. Apart from what Christians may uh, think about their life, apart from their opinions about themselves, uh, whatever their background may be, this should become a very, very important uh, concept to every believer because this is the reality for the future of everyone who claims Christ as their Savior. And as we've worked our way through this passage and the parallel passages from 1 Corinthians 3, we've begun to pull really some of the principles, if you will, we just cut principles of confidence and judgment, and we just kind of labeled them that way. And these have been our handholds as we worked our way through the passage because we will see, you know, the Jesus that we want uh, to see because we're going to see him. Uh, that's why Paul says, therefore, we have as our ambition. Because we're going to see him, we need to be aware then of what we're doing. Because we're going to stand before him, it should come to our attention that what we're doing is is uh, being uh, is laying up something, and we should be concerned about what that is. And as Baxter has said, it's it's foolishness and lamentable that people spend their time doing a whole bunch of other things when uh, the Lord has clearly stated in his word exactly what uh, his cases are. Now, we saw a couple. The first two were these. We want to labor in a way that will please the Lord. That's just obvious, right, from the verse. Label in such a way. Because you're going to see the Lord, we want to labor in such a way that's pleasing to him. And then the second one was Christ's judgment is coming, and he's going to evaluate our work and recompense us for the work. Now, we're going to break that apart more as we work our way through. But those were our first two foundational ones that we just pull from the passage. And because this is a major motivating factor for Paul... We see his instruction and warning in a number of places like 1 Corinthians 9.24. I've read it before. It's one of my favorite passages as it has to do with physical things and then the, the dedication we give to those things and then compares that to what we should be thinking about. Do you not know, he says, that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, then they, they do... Uh, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Uh, therefore, verse 26, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. And um, over the last two days, I've had the privilege of working with our track team in the state meet, uh, the 4A and 3A state meet up at Liberty, hosted at Liberty. 1,800 so athletes from around the, the state of Virginia, uh, many of them who have done just this. They um, exercise self-control in all things. And when they ran or threw uh, or jumped yesterday, you could tell because they were the best in the state. And above everyone else who competed in multiple sections of every single event, there was somebody who came out on top or a couple who came out, you know, top eight in the state, all awarded uh, medals. And so you see this, this attitude. We understand what it takes. We understand what it takes to win. We understand the pain that goes into it. We understand uh, the hardship it is to train. And you run in such a way as not without aim. You run exactly according to the rules. You compete uh, so that you can get the prize. You run so that you're the first. And, and that's, that's just obvious to us. And, and I think that uh, the, the principle here is very important as we think about future judgment. And that was confident principle, uh, judgment principle number three. If you're a believer, do your ministry with what? All your effort. In the same way that you understand it takes the, that much effort to compete and win, you're to do your ministry that way. And the parallel passage from our passage in 1 Corinthians 5 is from 1 Corinthians 3.10. And so we've spent some time here. We'll spend some more time here today. And it gives this warning and the admonition is this, in this way. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, Paul says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. And so the building is still going on. We are building on what's already been done. 
Uh, the word for building is in the present tense, and so it's active. Uh, another continually builds on it. The foundation is laid. We're building on that foundation. And, and that's where we saw our next confident principle number four was this. Uh, every one of us has a ministry based on the foundation that has been laid, and we are to be careful how we build on it. Now, just to clarify that foundation, First uh, Corinthians 3.11 says, For no man can lay a foundation other than that one that was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, so Paul laid in Corinth the foundation of Christianity. And what is that? Well, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has led to salvation. That becomes the illustration, then, for this further teaching for us. Paul said, I laid the foundation in Corinth. That became the illustration. As you have had the foundation of Christ laid in your life, then you continue to build on that foundation. If you're a believer, the foundation is Christ, your salvation. There's a pad poured on a lot. You're responsible to build on it, and you have been. So Paul laid in Corinth the foundation of Christianity, and that is the foundation of salvation. Now, verse 12 says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, as we've noticed... There is listed for us a variety of building materials that you could have and are currently using on this structure. Paul tells us you're God's building, you're his temple, uh, so you know that you're building, what you're building is God's. Ultimately, ultimately, it's for God's glory. That's just obvious, right? It's easy enough connection to make. And so it falls on you to build it. And Ephesians 3 gives us some more insight. It says this, Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, and that was our fifth confidence and final judgment principle, uh, because the indwelling Holy Spirit is there for every believer, you can go well beyond what you can think about or even think to ask about. In other words, God's resources are your resources. So according to verse 12, you can build with precious stones. That's lithos. That's the noun for stone. Probably refers to granite or marble because the word timios is used with it, an adjective, which is precious or expensive. So it can refer to a gemstone, but here in building material, we're probably not referring to gemstones. We're referring to something that would cost a lot to quarry and move and build with, okay? So, or you can, you can build with those things, and everyone has those resources, see? Same resources for everyone, same foundation for everyone, same Holy Spirit working and willing to work for everyone, Okay? Or you can, you can build with those things, or you can build with hay and straw. And the point here is that both builders had the same resources uh, and, and the same Holy Spirit prompter and the same power. And Jesus is going to look at, at these two buildings, these two spiritual houses, and the wood, hay, straw house isn't evil. We said it's just worthless because it won't withstand the test. It, it doesn't have any eternal value. It's just a zero sum. And the builder is a believer. The foundation is the same. And now, as we said, only the Lord can correctly evaluate the house. So he's, he's the only one who can truly know the difference between mud and marble. Because we deceive ourselves very easily, and we think we're doing one thing, and we may be doing something completely different. Both directions. You may think that was just completely, uh, fl- that was fleshly, and that was just mud and straw and hay, whereas the Lord knew the contriteness of your heart, and he knew what you were really wanting to do. So we trust the Lord to evaluate correctly, but he's the only one who can. And so we let the Bible explain the Bible again, and we looked at some clues about how God has explained to us how he labels the building material. And and we saw three of four areas last time. We ran out of time, so we'll just pick up here. So we saw three of four areas. Labor was the first area of evaluation. Labor was the first. And so as we understand this, this is where the Christian life is producing building material. 
And really from 1 Corinthians 3, 8 is where we get this understanding. And we'll go through this and pick up a number of passages that can help you and give some foundation to it. And if you're a note taker on the back of your bulletin, you can find uh, some places where you can fill it in. And that those places will be left blank. And up here behind me, uh, they'll be underlined. So you'll know what your takeaways are to be this morning. Verse 8 says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And the idea there that we saw is is that this labor is the labor of the planting of the seeds of the gospel and the watering of the plants in discipleship. So the Great Commission to preach the gospel, teach them to obey everything, baptizing them, that's all all our job. Okay, we were left here to do that. It's something the Lord evaluates very carefully. Those that work hardest at those things lay up gold, silver, and costly stone. And and that was our sixth confidence and final judgment principle. If If you want to be confident in the judgment to come, then be about the work of the Great Commission. Because if you're doing that, you're doing precisely what the Lord left you here to do. Because, beloved, understand this. You know, people can be really busy about a whole bunch of things. And some have really nice houses and they've done a really nice job on their yard or their car is perfect or, or whatever. They've worked very hard about building their portfolio or they've been very careful about, you know, uh, what, what they've done with their family or, or whatever. And, and you can be busy about a lot of stuff. Uh, but all around your home or, and or all around your job place are people who have never been witness to. And so people can be really busy but just laying up wood, hay, and straw. And we saw a number of passages that confirm that for us and reinforce that in principles. And you can catch up with them online. The second area of evaluation was motive. Motive. And it still relates to action, how you spend your time, but it, it includes what you think about it. So not only does the Lord just look at, at the busyness of your life and, and what you're doing with the effort uh, that you put in, he's looking at the motive. And that's from 1 Corinthians 4, 5, a very important passage, I think, to help us understand how this all works out. Paul says this, he says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motive. There's our two, two different things we're going to look at. Uh, Things hidden in darkness and motive of men's hearts, then each man will praise, uh, man's praise will come to him from God. So God keeps track of those two things that are important to motive. And the first thing is the things hidden. That's the Greek adjective kryptos, something someone wants to keep sealed from someone else, a secret, if you will, sealed off from the eyes of other people. And that could be a good thing. So the Lord evaluates uh, those things that are hidden, and that could, be, um, that could be an anonymous gift that's given, and you want to keep it anonymous. You don't want somebody to know that you took care of that need, but you provided for it because you just want to give the Lord glory, and you want somebody to focus on thankfulness to God and not to you, and perhaps you want to do that. Uh, perhaps it's diligent prayer for someone else, a respectful, thoughtful, prayerful, considerate selflessness that you'd like to keep hidden because you don't want people to say you're spiritual and get your reward here. Okay, that makes sense, right? And, but there can be bad as well. They can be disrespectful thoughts, selfishness, jealousy, uh, unkind self-talk. It can be backbiting. It can be, you know, uh, running somebody down. It can be talking about somebody. It, it can be all kinds of those kinds of things. It can be thoughts in your mind about, that are very bad about those who are believers around you. And that's all used for building your house, you see? And it's going to be known and it's going to be tried. And the good things that are hidden, those things that were good, those are gold things. Those are precious types of stone things. And you're building with those things, see? And God knows what you secretly think about, and he knows what you say to yourself about it. And the second part of those hidden things, uh, we can confidently say, uh, would be wood, uh, hay, and straw. Um, because there's no way the Lord's blessing that. There's, but you're still building with it, is that's what you're doing. And so that's going into your structure. And so uh, you understand that that's not going to last. 
And the, the important part about it is, is that it's all going to come to light, see? Second uh, word here, uh, besides uh, things hidden, is this word motives. We just labeled the whole thing motives, but really the word motives is the, is the Greek noun boule. It's, it's the word for counsels. So the counsels, so things hidden in your heart and your counsels. So that this is how you can interpret that. So why are you doing something? That's the issue here. Um, how did you decide, come to decide to do it? Why did you do what you did? And that was our seventh confident and final judgment principle. So if you want to be confident in the judgment that's surely coming, then continually bring your attitude into biblical alignment. In other words, Lord, reveal to me those thoughts and those habits and those, those motivations, those secret counsels, the things that I've hidden. Make them clear to me so they're not, they're not obscured. We're, we're, we have a hard time picking the, the camouflage off of it. But we want to make sure the Lord reveals that. Bring that before the Lord. Bring your attitude uh, into biblical alignment. Take captive those thoughts that betray fleshliness. In other words, you don't have to go down that road. That gossiping, uh, backbiting, you know, negative thoughts, negative self-talk road. You can take captive and hijack that and say, no, no more. I don't have to live that way. Okay? And so that's the idea. And again, we saw a number of supporting passages there. God knows what you secretly think about. He knows what you say to yourself about it. He knows why you chose to do it to begin with. And you may do a deed that looks gold, but your motive was stubble and, or your secret thoughts about it. Or, hey, why do I have to do this? I don't want to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. It's not where I want to be. That's, and, and, and that's what you're going to build with, beloved. And that's not going to last. See, Now, obviously, Scripture indicates that, that true evaluation also includes Conduct. Conduct. Back up here. Conduct. So, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, we're just talking about things physically that you do, the way you live your life, a day-to-day conduct of your life, things you physically do, you act on, and it, it, it's either a wood, uh, hay, and straw, or gold, silver, and costly stone. Good or bad. And we saw that these words in context are adjectives describing the work of the believer. They give the impression that they're moral good or moral evil, but we're not talking about moral good or moral evil. Because moral evil has already been dealt with, hasn't it? It was dealt with on the cross, and all your sins were future when that happened, and they're still dealt with now. So we're not talking about moral evil that's already been judged. Obviously, if you're doing things that are sinful, what's that going to be? That's going to be wood and hay and straw. Okay, they're covered under the blood of Christ and you may break fellowship and have to come back to him and ask for forgiveness. But your salvation is not a jeopardy, but you're still building with wood, hay and straw. So the idea here is then that these are these are adjectives that describe things that are excellent, agathos, and things that are worthless, folos. Uh, of no account. So you're being judged on your physical actions. In other words, how you spend your time and you're going to be judged on what is good and what is worthless. And, and this third word is very important, may be recompense. That's the only part uh, about that that we see that has to do with reward. See, it doesn't have to do with judgment for your sin. It just has to do with reward. And it's one word, maybe recompense is one word in the Greek, kamasitai. The verb is eris, middle subjunctive. So subjunctive movement in, indicates a degree of contingency. And what's the contingency? Well, obviously the contingency is whether or not there's going to be a reward. When you get to the end of your life and everything that you've built has been judged, it might all be gone, and there'll be no reward. You won't be judged for your sin. It's already been judged on the cross, but you may get to the end of your life, and there's some contingency about whether the Lord can recompense you for anything that lasted. If everything that's been built has been built of wood, hay, and straw, then it has no eternal value. It's going to be burned up, and there's going to be no reward. That's the idea. And that's our eighth confident and final judgment principle. So if when you come to the judgment, if you want to be confident, then evaluate 
what you're doing in relation to clear biblical instruction. So in other words, if you are going to do the will of the Lord, make sure that you know what that is. Okay? The Lord's very clear about it. It's not, it's not somewhere in secret. You can read the Bible. That's holding the Holy Standard up before your eyes. That's why we read every day, along with the praise and the adoration and the, and the comfort that it brings us and the promises that we're encouraged by. It holds the Holy Standard up, and we say, okay, this is what the Lord says no to, so we don't do that. That's the whole idea. It's your conduct. So bring your conduct into alignment with clear biblical instruction and evaluate how you're spending your time. What do you take the most time to do? I always say, you know, if you look at your check register, you'll realize what's really most important in your life, and that's where you're spending your time. And so that can certainly serve as a litmus test for that. And we looked at a number of supporting passages, which you can catch up on later if you miss them. Now, uh, the next way we see that the Lord uh, is evaluating building material is through his evaluation of our ministry, and that should just be obvious to us. But First, uh, first Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and this is particularly whether we function with our spiritual gifts. So as we're doing ministry, the Lord wants us to function inside our spiritual gifting. And 1 Peter 4.10 is very clear about that. Peter says, as each one has received a special gift. So that's a point in time it occurred when you came to faith, you received spiritual gifting uh, to do some certain thing. So understand this, put this in very practical terms. As a believer, part of the local church, you've been given spiritual gifts, which this church needs. So in other words, you can just put this the other way. If you're sitting here and you haven't been serving anywhere, the Lord gifted you. But we're not benefiting, and neither is anyone else in the church. Why? Because you're not using your spiritual gifts somewhere so that we can be benefited. Spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the local church to show that the Holy Spirit is visible and active inside the church. So be a part of what's going on. And realize, this is, this is one of the main ways that the Lord is going to evaluate how you're doing your ministry, how you're doing your ministry in the church. Is employing, he says, each one has received a special gift, employing it, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. How can you be good stewards of the grace you receive? Begin to serve one another. Find some place that you can serve. Give yourself away inside your spiritual gift, and you will be a good steward of the grace that was given to you. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. So you evaluate what you're saying. You're making sure it aligns with what the scripture says. And then you deliver that. Okay. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. You're not doing it in the flesh. You're saying, Lord, you know, in my own self, I don't think I could keep up this pace. But I will because you can empower me and I'll do it. Or any other number of applications there which you can easily see. So that in all things, what's the reason why you serve inside your, biblical, your, your, your spiritual gifts? So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's always about that, isn't it? When people see the church and they see a lot of people busy at work serving with their spiritual gifts in whatever area where the Lord has gifted them, then who gets glory? The Lord does, right? When it's just a few people doing everything, who's, you know, it's pretty difficult to look around the church and say, okay, well, the Lord's really at work here. Well, actually, he's at work with like four people, and they do like 90% of the work. We don't want that, right? And we don't have that here, and I, I'm just saying that that can be the case in certain churches. you got your four people who do all the stuff, okay? But here it's spread around, but I think it could be spread around more, and the biggest blessing is going to come when you do this, see? And God is going to be glorified through Jesus to whom belongs glory and dominion forever. That's who it belongs to anyway, and we make it apparent when we're doing what we're doing. And so that's our ninth confidence and final judgment principle. When you come to the final judgment for you and you want to be confident, realize that the use of spiritual gifts is the, catch this, supreme way that God wants to use you. And your biggest blessing from obedience is going to be found when you're functioning in that way. Okay? People say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, you know, this is, this is um, knowledge that's acquired by actively being involved. Okay? And that's the idea of knowledge of spiritual gifts. It's, it's, a, uh, it's an active knowledge. You begin to explore. It's not always clear. 
Sometimes it's clear to other people as you begin to do your work, they'll say, oh, you, I think you really have this. You know, maybe you have to give some mercy showing. You, you know, you, you can easily identify with people and you, you're so merciful to them, right? Or you have the gift of giving or you have the gift of discernment. You, you can really kind of weed out the things that aren't important and you can pull out the spiritual things that are really at, at having a problem here. Or any number of those, okay, beloved? But the only way you're going to figure those out is you begin to use them. And that's the supreme way God wants to use you in your ministry. And there are so many passages that they give us direct commands to use your spiritual gifts in the church. We could spend several weeks just looking at those. I'll just give you a high point, just kind of hit some high points. But you're going to be building God's best building with God's best building materials if you're going to use it in this way. And it certainly measures effort along with obedience. And at Romans 12, 1, or 12, 11 is important here. So it's not just using your spiritual gifts. It's doing it a certain way. And, uh, you know, you can see the dynamic here interacts with everything else we've said. So this is not new. But here Paul says this. He's talking about the spirit at work in you. He says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words... And we say this a lot. We do this in the Be the Church uh, class. Owning your ministry. That's what that means. Owning your ministry. Being faithful. Being there. Okay? Um, and when you do that, gold, silver, granite, marble. Or wood, hay, straw. So in other words, everything comes before your ministry. Whatever comes up, whatever pops up in your life, the least little difficulty, the least little tiredness, whatever you give up. Or the first little criticism that hits you or the first complaint and you're out the door. See, that's wood, hay, and straw, okay? You know, if, if you are serving in the ministry, you should fully expect that you should have some criticism. You should fully expect that you'll have a complaint or two. Because guess what? Not everybody you're going to minister to is walking in, the whole, with, in control of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to be delivering stuff and people are going to come back in a way that you didn't expect them to. And they're going to criticize what you do. Or yes, you're going to be tired. Or there's going to be some little thing that's going to come up on a Sunday morning. And it, yeah, you know, you didn't get sleep last night because your child woke up four times. Well, yeah, I get it. Okay. So is it your ministry or not? Is it important or not? And I'm not saying you put your family aside. I'm not saying you, you set things aside that, you know, are important. You, you understand what I'm saying. You know, it can be the least little thing that discourages you. And man, you're, you're done. Okay? You see people start ministries and somebody complains about it like, I'm not doing this anymore. What? Oh, okay. Wood, hay, and straw. So, listen, this, this is important stuff. Okay? And, and the Lord didn't put this in here just as a peripheral issue. He's like, you know, this is going to support your understanding of how this is all supposed to work. And I think you know this. It's not, it's not new stuff, okay? And, and, and the thing about it is the Lord's not resisting us in these efforts. He's encouraging them. And we saw in our opening illustrations, he's made it clear what he expects, you know, as we saw earlier. A Puritan preacher understood that very clearly, didn't he, 400 years ago? And he noticed the same thing in the church. Well, the church hasn't changed a whole lot, did you know? It's exactly the same as it always has been. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says this. The Lord's encouraging us. He says... Um, I think I messed it up. Did I mess it up? Is it there? Uh, anyway, I'm going to give you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. You can find that back there. Keep going. Go back. Thank you, Alex. Keep going back. There it is. Thank you. I guess I need new glasses. All right, so the Lord's not resisting these efforts. Uh, he's encouraging them. We saw in our opening illustration, he made clear what he expects. And here, if Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Therefore, don't throw away your confidence. In other words, when the least little thing comes up, don't throw away the confidence you had. You know, people are very excited about starting ministries usually. I want to do this. I think this is important. The Lord wants us, I think the Lord, uh, you know, wants to use me in this area. You know, uh, I think we should have a jail ministry. I think we should have a whatever. And I'm like, yes, what can I do to help you do that? Okay, how can I get behind that? 
Don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. All right, that desire and, and the uh, confidence that the Holy Spirit can do it through you, that has great reward. For you have need of what? Not more confidence, what? Endurance, right? Endurance. You know, I, I work with a lot of track guys and girls who are junior high. You know, they're like, I'm going to nationals my freshman year. Okay. You have great confidence. That's super. What you're really going to have to realize is you're going to have to practice like you have never practiced in your life. You're going to have to train like you've never trained in your life. It's going to be harder than you ever imagined, and endurance is going to get you the goals. It's not going to be your, just your confidence that I can do this. I mean, your, your brain's writing a check, and your body's got to cash it, and it's not going to be able to. So the idea is that, you know, don't throw away your confidence. It's got great reward. You have need of endurance. Stick with it so that when you've done the will of God, you can receive what was promised. Forget in a very little while, he who is coming will come. What, what did Paul say? Therefore, because we're going to see the Lord, because he is going to come and he's going to evaluate what we've done, because that's a reality, then we seek to be pleasing to him in all things, right? Very similar idea here. You've got confidence to do this thing that the Lord's empowered you to do, then have some endurance and stick with it. Because in a very little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. Once he begins the whole coming thing, everything else is going to really fall into place and roll right along. And you'll receive what was promised, certainly glorification, sanctification, but also reward. But you have need, he says, of endurance. Stick with it. Same idea, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't what? Go weary. Same idea, right? Stick with it. You're, you're doing what you should be doing. So stick with it. Don't grow weary because you're going to reap. You know, you'll reap a reward. You certainly would reap benefit in the lives of individual believers and, and those who don't know the faith if you're, if you're coming and giving out, planting the seed and watering it, right? So there's, there's a reaping coming, but don't grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, this is the encouragement, okay? Stick with it, be, endure. While we have opportunity, this is when we have it, right? Because when we stand before the Lord and it's all done, that's it. There's no more chance to correct it. There's no chance to go back and fix it. Oh, I should have spent more time sowing the seeds of the gospel. I should have spent more time functioning inside my spiritual gifts. That's all done. And now you have what you have, whatever remains, see? We're going to see that in just a minute. So while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So you keep on keeping on along with all the qualifications we mentioned, and you're going to be building with the best materials. And in First Peter chapter 2, verse 19, it measures our ministry in the midst of even difficult times. And I've mentioned that already, that sometimes the least little resistance, that's the end of it for people, right? For this finds favor. What finds favor? If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What do you mean? Well, you know, Peter says, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? There's no credit. You did what was wrong. You got reproof for it, and, and that was how it should be, and you bear up under it as you should. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. In other words, you're doing your ministry. You're, you're involved in doing what you're supposed to do, and people criticize you. People bring harsh words against you. You have some uh, resistance in whatever it is, and you endure in that. That finds favor with God. Okay, so all those things related to life in the ministry that we mentioned above from Romans 12 and in the midst of doing this, there will be difficult times. There'll be complaints. There'll, you know, there'll be criticism. There'll be discouraging people around you, difficult days, lost sleep. And and the way you bear up under it will either be gold, silver, granite, marble or what? Wood, hay and straw. See, so what kind of building are you building? It's important to think about. Because once the building's up, there's going to be an inspection. 
And, and that's true about any building that you build. And that's why 1 Corinthians 3.13 warns us and says, each man's work, what? Each man's work will become evident. It's going to become evident. To whom? Everyone. But particularly to the Lord, who will do the judging. For each man's work will become evident. There's no more, you know, keeping up the smokescreen. No more masks up. No more, this looks really spiritual kind of thing. All that's going to be taken away. And then whatever was built, that's all that's there. See? Because the day's going to show it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So there's coming a day when everybody's work is going to be tested. Perhaps after the rapture, uh, we're going to be with Jesus and, and one by one, he and everyone else will see our building and Jesus is going to test it with his holy fire and he's going to see what's left. And here's the thing that occurred to me uh, earlier this week. I would think that, I would think that he already knows the outcome of that home of yours. Don't you think that? He probably, he, don't you think he probably already knows? He's not deceived, right? It's we who throw up stuff and we think, oh, that's really spiritual. I did this for the right reason. I, I think he already knows what the outcome's going to be. So who's the test really for? He's not discovering what you did, right? He already knows what you did. Who's the, the, the test is for us, right? Wood, hay, straw, they're going to burn. Gold, silver, marble, granite, that's not going to burn. So every man's work is going to be tested. Why? So you can see what's left. So he can punish you? No. So he can what? recompense you so he can reward you you'll get to see what's left and he'll reward you no punishment if any man's work which he has built on it remains he will receive a reward see that's a, and that's our 10th that's our 10th understanding of uh, uh of our confidence in future judgment if you build your spiritual house with the right materials see god has explicitly stated that you will re- be rewarded for those sacrifices and efforts you might want to copy that down because that's not up here behind you. If you build your spiritual house with the right material, and this is just obvious because we've seen it, right? God has explicitly stated that you will be rewarded for those sacrifices and efforts. That is guaranteed. The time you spent, the hardship that it was, the sacrifice that it took, the cost was great perhaps, uh, the time that you spent under the criticism of people and harsh words and ungodly things that occurred, all that, retained you bore up under it correctly you laid up this building and god has explicitly stated i will reward you for that you will know for sure that i noticed and that's a great motivation right we're going to look at the at the form some of those rewards are going to take in just a moment but you, you know you may have much of your house left after that's all done or you may have only one little piece of a precious stone or a little hunk of gold left on the foundation when the fire's done and god will say here's your reward that's how it's going to work if any man's work is burned up, he's going to suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Some, some buildings escape the fire with little left over, but I think again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, perhaps this is indicated that you know every believer, because that's who we're talking about, every believer, will have something left. That's why he says don't go passing judgment before the time. It might not be everything you imagine it would be, or it might be more than you thought it was. And certainly when you're looking at other people, it's, it's difficult to, to evaluate. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And, and each man's praise will come to him from God. You know, I think perhaps everyone will have some praise. I think everybody as a believer has some fruit they bear. And they function correctly in the Holy Spirit and with the spiritual gifts from time to time. Some more than others. Some tend to store a lot better. Some tend to store a lot worse. So it might not be as much as you thought. But if you were faithful in that little thing, then everyone should have some praise. 
And whenever in your life you labored hard and you labored selflessly in the planting of the seeds of the gospel and the watering of the plants and teaching and in sound doctrine, you were building with gold and silver and costly stone. And, and whenever in your life uh, your motives were pure in whatever it was that you did and you just did it simply and completely for the unselfish love of uh, for the glory of God alone, and then you were building with God, gold, silver, and costly stones. And whenever in your life, your daily conduct is holy and righteous and obedient to the Lord, bringing the flesh into submission, uh, you were building with gold, silver, and costly stone. See, and, and whenever in your life, your ministry and your service is spiritually beneficial and faithful and long-suffering and patient, and you stuck with it even in difficult times, and no matter what the hardship was, you still did it and you owned it, you were what? building with gold and silver and costly stones. And God knows when you did it correctly, even if you don't, see. Even if you don't, he knows, and certainly others will not have a clear view of that either. And God will evaluate it and you'll be rewarded. And you may wonder, you know, what the rewards are going to be. As, as the Bible explains the Bible, there are some forms those rewards may take. We'll just go through a few of them. We have some time still. Um, here are some forms that those rewards may take. Here's one. Um, a position of ruling. We've talked about this before. You know, you may think like I do, I don't want to rule anything. <laughs> we'll get to the thousand year reign of Christ. I, I don't, I'm not worthy of that. Don't put me in charge of anything. Okay, but the Lord has said very clearly there's going to be a position of ruling as a result of being faithful and a little, particularly here, look at the use of money. In Luke chapter 19, verse 15, he says, um, when he returned after giving, uh, re- receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, it talks about, it's a parable, talks about, uh, it has a, uh, uses a heavenly illustration to, or an earthly illustration to tell, make a heavenly point. So he's, he's receiving the kingdom. He orders that the slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business. So he'd given the slaves money, gone away on a long trip. He came back and they were supposed to be doing things with what he'd given them. And he wanted to know what business they had done. Verse 16 says, the first appeared saying, master, your mena has been made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over 10 cities. So the Lord measures out how much he's given you materially and what you do with it. And then he, he uh, rewards you for that. The second came saying, your mena master may have made five minutes. He said to him also, you will be over five cities. And he goes on, of course, somebody who just kind of used it for themselves or, weren't, or they weren't, uh, didn't have enough faith to put it into anything that mattered. And so all those things are all weighed out very carefully. And so I think position of ruling is one of those ways the Lord rewards us. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17. And the way you use money, beloved, that's gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, stubble. Okay. If you're, if you tip God once in a while, every now and then the offering plate comes by and then 20 bucks goes in, you know, you spend more at the movies on a regular month than you would giving. Listen, don't expect that you're laying up gold, silver, and costly stone. Okay. It's not going to happen. The Lord, the Lord has given us all things. It all comes from his hand. It is the result of his goodness to us. We're, it is measured out in result in, in relation to the proportion that we take in. And we're going to look at all that in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But you understand we're supposed to be diligent about faithfully doing it, generously, sacrificially uh, giving. And that's how you lay up gold, silver, and costly stone. That's how when you come, you are faithful in just a little. I'm going to make you in charge of 10 cities. Okay, so, you know, don't deceive yourself. It's, it's going to be very clear how all that washes out. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, again, a very, uh, very important passage that has to do with uh, a position or residence as part of a reward. I think Timothy says this very clearly. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So nothing wrong with being wealthy, nothing wrong with having a lot uh, because the Lord is the giver of everything anyway. But on God, so don't, don't rely on it. Uh, don't be conceited. Don't hope in it. Don't lay it up thinking you're okay because you're not. Uh, 
have your reliance on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He's the one who gives it all from his, from his hand to you uh, to enjoy. Right? That's the kind of God that he is. Instead, instruct them to do good. So those who have something, who are wealthy, this is the wealthy, instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up, here it is, for themselves, the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So there's a future that's life indeed. You get to take hold of it by the way you manage money now. Isn't that interesting? It's a position or a residence. Somehow it's connected to what you do with what you have. If you are, if you are, uh, doing good and rich in good works and generous and ready to share, then the Lord has taken, taken account of all of that. See, It seems likely that there's going to be praise, glory, and honor. I love this. And this is probably the most wonderful one of all um, as a result of facing difficult times. First Peter 1, 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed with various trials. You've had a lot of difficult squeezing pressure, pressure things on you, and it's been hard for you, uh, but you can rejoice in that so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, that's what happened when you were in the pressing pressure as the proof of your faith, right? When you got squeezed, what came out? Was it the wine of, of faithfulness and patience, or was it, uh, was it the vinegar of, of why me, God, and why did it have to happen to me? Why are you picking on me? See? So which one was it? When you were pressed and the good things came out and you, you, the Lord saw that by, your, by that pressing pressure, you were distressed by it. And that was the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even more than gold, which eventually you can melt down with fire. Okay? So it's not disagreeing with what we talked about before. It lasts. Okay? It's not consumed. But here it says, listen, if, if, if you go through the difficult times and, and you get the squeeze on you, there's, there's something that's going to happen for your future, and that is what? Uh, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'd like to you know, ponder on that just for a little bit. Can you, imagine, can you imagine receiving glory and honor from Jesus himself? And I think that immature believers imagine that that's always going to happen. I mean, I've preached many, many... Um, uh, over many, many uh, coffins uh, uh, here and other places, many funerals. And almost always somebody says, you know, in the brochure, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Maybe. Maybe that's what's going to be said. Maybe there'll be praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Maybe it'll be a robe of righteousness with nothing left if they were truly born again. See, you understand? It's not automatic. But just imagine receiving praise. Jesus takes the time to walk up to you and identify the things that you suffered, the hardship you had and the, and the, and the sacrifice it took and where you came from and how you ended up. I mean, is, isn't that what you long for? You, you don't, if you're like me, you, I don't care about anything else. I don't care where I live in eternity. I don't care if I have anything that's gold or, you know, the Lord coming up to me and saying, and I don't care if I, I, you know, I don't want to rule anything. The Lord coming up and saying, well done. And you did this and you did this. And in this circumstance, nobody saw this, but this is what you did. And I saw that. See, I mean, that's, I think that's marvelous. That by itself is reward. Is it not? It's what we strive for, right? For this reason, we labor and We serve the God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. I, I encourage other pastors all the time out of Timothy that way. You know, when it's very, very difficult, it's for this reason we labor and strive. We serve the God of all uh, who, who's the Savior of all, especially those who believe. That's who you serve. He's the one who knows what you're doing. Just stick with it and be pleasing to him. See. Scriptures also speak about the rewards taking the form of crowns. Now, these are the ones that most people are, are, uh, are very familiar with. 
And there are several. We'll just go through them because we have still about 10 minutes. So 1 Corinthians 9.25, first one's imperishable crown. We'll just kind of explain them a little bit. Um, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So uh, the wreath would be put on the person's head when they competed in one. The Bema seat was the elevated part of after the games where the athletes would come and they would be recognized for what they had done and they receive an imperishable crown. So uh, the general understanding is for those who labor well, then laboring as you would for an important race, uh, there is this imperishable crown. So it has to do with conduct. It has to do with ministry. It has to do all the things we talked about. There's a crown connected with that. And then we saw another one. It's called the crown of righteousness. You can copy this down if you want. Second Timothy 4, 8. In the future, there is laid up for me, Paul says, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. What's that mean? Well, just for those who, okay, who by their actions and their priorities show they're looking forward to Jesus' return. Beloved, can I say this to you? If you're living in open sinfulness, you're not looking forward to Jesus' return. Okay? The Hebrews said, oh, you know, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, you know, and what did the prophet say? What's the temple of the Lord to you? The Lord's going to come back and judge you. Don't yell out, oh, the temple of the Lord, can't wait to see him. You know, if you're living in such a way that you're not reflecting his glory and you're doing what you want, listen, the return of the Lord's going to have some sorrow connected with it, okay? I mean, you're still redeemed, but you're going to barely pass through there with, you know, with your robe of righteousness. So for all those who love their, uh, the Lord's returning, what do you, if you're laboring because you know the Lord's going to return, if you're in your job and you know the boss is going to show up today, and you're going to be doing everything you know, by the book. And it's going to look great. And when he shows up, the boss is going to go, man, this looks great. That's precisely the idea. The Lord, it's, the Lord is near, right? Isn't that what it says? God is near, close to his return. And so you're laboring in such a way that you expect that there is a crown of righteousness for you. So um, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the crown of rejoicing. For those you know, who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation. That's how it uses there. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming for you, our glory, and our joy? And so for those who labor hard, giving out the gospel, watering all those people uh, in, in, uh, in the eternal kingdom, you know, that's very great. It's a wonderful thing to think about. So there's a crown there, but then the people in the eternal kingdom that are there because you faithfully gave out the gospel, that's also your joy and your crown. But there's this crown here of rejoicing because of the faithfulness of you giving out the gospel and then all those who've come into the kingdom because of that. The crown of glory is another way of reward. First uh, Peter 5, 4, we read this one last week, so I won't read it all. Uh, verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's for those who are faithful pastors, shepherds, overseers, uh, with the right attitude, the right motivation, laboring along with the church. I, I told you, First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, that's really my theme Verse, if I don't know what to do, I just go back and read it. I'm not sure what I should do next. Okay, well, let's just read that because that's all I'm really supposed to do. Um, churches have various expectations of what they want their pastor to do. The Lord's only given a, sh- a, a few things that they are f- supposed to do. And so I just go back and say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so those who labor then as a pastor or a shepherd or overseer, uh, I think um, there's this crown of glory. Crown of life, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Again, we get the same idea, right? Hardship, difficulty, pushing through, sticking with it. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. For all who love Jesus sacrificially, for all who have endured hardship to serve him. I think you're going to see a lot of people who served in other parts of the world and have had very difficult times all their life, have had the sentence of death on them constantly. People who have uh, had the threat of martyrdom on them all the time, resistance constantly wherever they are. I mean, these are the kinds of folks who are going to be uh, with this crown. Many will have multiple ones, no doubt. 
but all who love Jesus sacrificially. And no doubt, there are other ways that the Lord will reward the remains, you know, what remains of the building. So, you know, he's going to look at all that, and he knows exactly what remains and what it was built out of and, and, and what was the cause of it and all that. And he can, he, not only can he know what the building material is, he knows what's left, and he knows exactly how to reward it. And I think we can trust him with all of that. So once the test is done, there's no way to change it, as we said. And so it's fixed for all eternity, which is why Paul says in verse 10, but each man must be careful. Each man must be careful. What? How he builds on it. Why? Because when it's all done and you're in eternity, it's all done. And there's no more adding to it or fixing it or shielding it or building a wall or a hedge so nobody can see it or whatever, okay? It's fixed for all eternity, which is why Paul says each man be careful how he builds it. The fire will test it. There will be a great inferno in some people's case. And then it says in verse um, 15, if any man's work is burned up, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. But he'll still be what? Saved, right? He'll suffer loss, but not the loss of salvation. The loss of what? Well, the greatest majority of his life's work is going to come down. The greatest, catch this, beloved. I don't know how many years the Lord will give you or me, but if you're, you need to be careful how you build because it could be the greatest amount, the greatest majority of your life's work could be going up in smoke. And that obviously is going to be the case because it's here. It's not even hypothetical. This, this is actually going to be the case for people. And that's reassuring, albeit um, sad commentator on some people's lives. You won't lose your salvation, and no doubt, examine on the surface, no believer uh, would believe that they would be the ones to lose nearly everything, any more than you would think that if you get up and get in your car today after church, you'll go home and your house is burned down. But it happens, doesn't it? And people go home, and that's what they find, and and um, and people will say, you mean, you know, all my life, I um, all my life I was doing this thing, and it was almost all wood, hay, and straw. Yep, sorry about that. And, and we see in Second John eight, it really addresses this issue. And John is right in line with Paul as he gives this warning. When he says this, he says, um, "Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but." that you may receive a full reward. And we, we've seen this stated a lot, but we'll just confirm this as our 11th confidence and judgment principle. And it's this, it's possible to build something and not receive a reward for it. It's possible that you labored a lot for it, but you didn't get anything for it, okay? And so it just can, confirms what we've already said numerous times. It's kind of a reverse motivation. Don't waste your time on wood, hay, and straw. And, and Paul warns the church of Colossae of the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. What's that mean? Well, by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels and taking his stand on visions he's seen and inflated without cause in his fleshly mind. And here Paul points out is our 12th confidence in future judgment principle, and it's this. You can be talked into doing things that are worthless. And I think about legalism. You know, legalism's not spirituality. Spirituality is spirituality, okay? Just doing a whole bunch of things that you think are right and not doing a whole bunch of things you think are wrong by itself, in and of itself, is not spirituality. It's just making sure you've legalized your way into what you think is, is spiritual. You can be talked into doing stuff uh, that defrauds you of what you would have had, okay? What do you have to do? Hold fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together. Being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. You're holding fast to the head. You're holding fast to Christ. You know what he desires, not what men desire. Verse 15 
If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So you're his, you're his, you're his building, and you're building his building, so make sure you're using your life up in the best way, see? Make sure you're doing the best things, right? Not the good things, the best things. Make sure you're laboring hard and selflessly in the planting of seeds of the gospel and watering plants and, and a teaching sound doctrine. Make sure your motives are pure in whatever it is you do simply completely for the unselfish love of the glory of God. And make sure your daily conduct is holy and righteous and obedient to the Lord, bringing the flesh into submission. Make sure your life, your ministry, your service is, is spiritually beneficial and faithful and long-suffering and patient when it gets hard. And, and whatever you have done before, whatever you built up until now, make sure that as you continue to build from this time forward, however long the Lord gives you, you build with things that will last and things that will be there for all eternity when the combustible things are gone. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, Paul says? If any man destroys the temple of God, and that would be the idea of an unbeliever really sidetracking a believer. It's, uh, it's conf- confirmation. You can be talked into doing stuff that doesn't get rewarded, that you can be building with things that don't last. Investing your life in something other than what lasts. God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. But maybe, you know, you're still wondering, you know, what you're going to do with a crown or a bunch of crowns or whatever. We're going to wrap up with this, you know, a curio cabinet, you know, a a hutch with a locking door. You know, you can look at it, but don't touch them, right, or whatever. What am I going to do with my crowns? Well, I I, I don't think you're going to do that. I think the things that we thought about already, you know, what you laid up in heaven, as we saw that before, uh, will perhaps be yours to live in. Um, The position that you earn by being faithful in little things will be your job to do. I think the Lord connects that. It's not... It's never complete here. It's this is shadow land and the long tomorrows before us. And you, you were faithful in those little things and you were faithful to do those things. And that becomes your job and that becomes your residence. And that's just like the Lord to fulfill it so completely like that. But and the way you managed hard times, which made God look so good on earth, uh, will let you make him look great all throughout eternity. That's pretty amazing. All through eternity, you get to make God look in such a way that you never would have been able to do it before without the hard times. And in a way that other people will not if they didn't deal with them as they should or if they didn't have the ones you had. So count yourself all joy when you come into various trials and hardships and background that's been so difficult for you. Why? Because you're in a position to bring God glory that someone else will not be in a position to bring him. And you've been comforted by the Lord and so you can bring comfort to other people. And there's so much stuff that's involved with your hardship, okay? So stop being a victim and move forward in, 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 uh, with confidence and have endurance, okay? So the way you manage that and you, you make him look great now, you're going to be able to make him great through all eternity. But Revelation 4.4 has something to say about the crowns. And if you were with us in our study in Revelation, you know that we went through this at length. But I'll just go through it just briefly. Around the throne, where it says in Revelation 4.4, where 24 elders. So John is on the Isle of Patmos. He has this vision from the Lord that shows the eternal state, some of the eternal things coming. And um, he sees this, uh, he has this understanding but the thrones were, there were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, uh, golden crowns on their heads. So, uh, very clearly connected to what we've been talking about. And as you know, because we study this, these guys likely represent the church. It's likely that these guys who are around the throne represent the church at, uh, at large, okay? The true church. And um, 
they are ruling with Christ because that's what's going to happen. If you're faithful, you're going to be ruling and you're going to be doing things you should, the Lord wants you to do in the eternal state and thousand year reign. And, and they're clothed with the garment of the redeemed, washed white as snow. And we see that uh, they're sitting in white garments. So they're redeemed and they have some jobs to do and they have a reward. So all this stuff is now complete and we're in the eternal state. We get to see this uh, as it's actually finished and the rewards have been given and we know what, who did what and when and all that and everything's stripped away that wasn't eternal. And all that's left is this, okay? And they have these crowns on their heads. So the Bema Seat judgment has already occurred. And then in Revelation 4, verse 9, it says this. It says, um, it tells us what they do with them. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders, mark this. They fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, and beloved, this is the sound of heaven forever. The background of heaven is these kinds of words forever. So, you know, this is marvelous, all right? I'm sure there'll be some, some things that change and the song will change, but it'll be these kinds of words. Here's what they hear, okay? And here's what the, here's what the church says. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So the church falls down before him who sits on the throne, worship him who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne. It's just you, Lord. You, you did this. You, you accomplished this in our life. We didn't do this. This is your Holy Spirit at work. This is your resources put in play. This is, this is your empowerment. This is your giving us endurance. This is, this is you. This is you. This is you. This is all we have. You accomplished everything. We, give, we, we offer this to you. We give back what's already yours. What was yours from the beginning? See? And if we understand that correctly, then this is the church doing that at the feet of Christ. And this is our 13th and our, and our final confidence in future judgment principle. Beloved, the rewards you receive for building with the right materials, in whatever form they take, whatever the reward is, however it works out, it will, one, last for eternity, and two, somehow work out to the praise and honor and glory of God. And beloved, isn't that something to look forward to? To fall at Jesus' feet and worship him and to offer him anything you could have accomplished in this life. To walk around heaven in the new earth showing everyone how great he is. And another reason is that, you know, you may slide them across a portion of the sea of glass to the base of his throne in praise and adoration and thankfulness for all that he accomplished for you, right? It's thankfulness. Lord, this is yours. It's yours already. I give it to you. And I'm just grateful to you. See? So, beloved, pattern your life from this point on in such a way that you'll have a crown or more to show him that you labored to please him and that it mattered that it, listen, that it mattered that Christ's judgment was coming and you lived knowing he was going to evaluate your work and recompense you for that work. Did you know you show him that it matters? He's already said it's going to happen, but you live in such a way that you live in such a way that you show him that, that that matters to you. Okay. And you knew it mattered that you did your ministry with all your effort. Do your ministry in such a way that you know that that matters. Because it does. To show him that you were careful about how you built on the foundation of salvation. Do it in such a way to show him that you relied on the Holy Spirit to go well beyond what you could think or even think to ask about. So God's resources could become your resources. To to show him that you labored for the gospel and discipleship first and foremost. Labor in such a way. Live in such a way that you're showing him that you know that that's important. See? Live in such a way that you can show him your motives were pure and your thoughts were pure. You knew that that mattered. You knew it mattered that your conduct on a daily basis reflected practical holiness inside your positional holiness. 
Live that way because it matters. You, you show him that it does, see? And show that the ministry that you did in your spiritual giftedness was diligent and fervent. Okay? Pattern your life so that you live it in such a way that you can have a crown for that because it matters. Okay? Pattern your life that you knew it was possible to build something and not receive a reward for it. So you avoid those scenarios. Pattern your life that way. See? Pattern your life in such a way that you were careful not to be talked into doing something that's worthless. Don't let people come alongside of you who don't walk with the Lord, who walk very casually with him, and let them talk you into spending your time doing things that only build wood, hay, straw. Okay? Because that happens a lot. Did you know that? It happens to your kids a lot. You've got you to make sure you're, you're evaluating the friends. But it happens when you get older, too. People come alongside. They don't care for the Lord like you do, and they talk you into spending your time doing stuff that doesn't matter. Spend the rest of your life so that now you can celebrate the rewards you receive for building with the right materials in whatever form they take and whatever the reward is and however it works out. Spend your life in such a way that you knew that it was going to last for eternity and it was all working out to the praise and honor and glory of God. So in that way, you built what was appropriate for God's building, for God's temple. Amen? Spell and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for uh, the wonder of your word and the joy of receiving reward from you for hearing perhaps from your son praise, honor, and glory for what was accomplished here. And Father, help us to live in such a way, even if we only grasped a couple of those things, what a change that would make in our life. So, Lord, you expect far more, and the, and the hurdle is much higher than the one we set for ourselves. So I pray, Lord, that you'll help us. Uh, help us to keep these things in mind, make them fresh to us again and again. Confidence in final judgment is not difficult. You've made it clear what you expect. You put it in your word, sealed for us, that we can read it. Help us to live in such a way that it mattered. Help us to live in such a way that we recognize by our conduct here you could see it, that we're living in such a way that we know that it matters to you. Work that out however you see fit, Father. You are at work by your Holy Spirit and the lives of individuals right now as they evaluate their own life, and I pray that will continue. And Father, we thank you for those who ministered downstairs today, who gave selflessly and, and helped our uh, K-5th through grade begin to be ready for ministry in VBS. Thank you for the faithfulness of all of those. Thank you for the nursery workers and all those who mowed the grass and, and, uh, and took care of things around the sanctuary and, and, and patrolled today and did things that were hard and things that were um, inconvenient. Thank you for faithful giving, for sacrificial giving over and over again where uh, the needs were met for our missionaries, for the church, that we can accomplish the things that uh, we had planned to do because people gave in such a way that they knew you were the giver of all things and because they knew they were laying it away later and you wouldn't forget and you continue to provide for their needs now. And I pray that more of us will learn that lesson over and over and better and better. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we walk out today, we walk out into a world that's lost. Many of our uh, friends, the people we associate with, do not know you. I pray that you'll impress on us to be spreading the gospel, clearly giving out the gospel. I pray that you'll prompt us, open our mouth, open your word, open their hearts. They might hear it and understand it. And Lord, I pray it will be faithful regardless to whether the response is uh, a receiving of salvation or a casting off and a disdain. 
It doesn't matter. Because we just want to serve you. We want to serve in such a way that we uh, want you to recognize it's, it's important to you. So Lord, for all these things and so many others in the prayer requests perhaps that are being brought up uh, silently today, I pray that you bring your wisdom and blessing. For those in Virginia Beach who lost loved ones, I pray that you bring comfort to them, help them to seek you while you may be found. Call on you while you're near. Help your name to be declared. Help those who are in that area minister in the name of Christ. Bring those who are guilty and connected to it to justice, I pray. And you bring justice in the land. Set a pattern for so long when the, the wicked is not punished immediately. The hearts of men are given to do wickedness continually. I pray that as we begin to change that and rule with, rule with judgment, correct judgment and law, and bring in the evildoer to justice, Lord, that you bring back a joy and blessing to our land. All these things we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you for our fellowship today, and we pray this in the name of your son. Amen.